Hey everyone, I'm Brian Conley of Hunters HD Gold, and you're listening to Season 2 of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. This podcast takes a deep dive into what it takes to be a match director, manufacturer, sponsored shooter, or just an everyday shooter trying to win his or her first major. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. Welcome back to another episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. Today I'm sitting down with somebody that a lot of people are going to know, but I don't really know that well. That's David Blanton. But you may not know him by David Blanton. You may know him by the humble marksman. You know, how are you doing, brother? Oh, man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I love coming to matches in Tulsa because, I mean, as you're well aware, because you go to more matches than I do, right. we get to go to nowhere and sleep nowhere further away. Yeah. And then there's nothing to do, but... <laughs> In Tulsa, they got a great range and there's stuff everywhere. It's all 15 minutes away. So, yeah. hey, you men, let's uh, let's do nationals here, buddy. <laughs> well, you've got a very successful YouTube channel going on. And we'll talk about that in a little bit because sure. I'm very intrigued of how you got that started. But, you know, you're not too old. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been com- shooting competitively for about 10 years, not quite 10 years okay. now. I uh, started in IDPA because that's what the range closest to my house did. All right. All right. So it was an indoor match, did IDPA. And I, my story is not like the guys who like I did it once and I was hooked and I just like jumped in with both feet. And right. I wish I had because I probably would have saved a lot of money and time. Well, let's take it back even further. Yeah. Yeah. When's the first time you shot a gun? First time I shot a gun. I mean, I shot 22s and shotguns just like, you know, at Boy Scout camp and summer camp stuff coming up. But I mean, so it was Boy Scout camp the very first time you'd even Shot a uh, I think the first time I shot a firearm was a shotgun off one of my parents' friends' lake house. Uh, they were throwing skeet by hand, basically. And, wow. Do you remember what caliber that oh, was? Oh, it was a 12. They did it to watch us uh, fall backward and cry. And I think I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine, like, oh, just barely big wow. enough to shoulder it. Did that Did that turn you off of it? Or was you intrigued by the compression? <laughs> I uh, So, I mean, just because I didn't know what to expect. Exactly. It was not a pleasant experience. You had a cannon no. going off in your hands. No, I think I cried. And it was... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, it didn't scare me away from guns or anything. Right. But your didn't. parents were doing yeah. this with you. Yeah, they were there. I mean, my, my parents weren't really into guns. So okay. I didn't like come up like doing the whole like right. living in the country, shooting all the time thing. So, I mean, I was <laughs> my dad's an architect. So we did the whole like metropolitan sort okay. of thing instead. So, okay. um, yeah, that, that it, it didn't get another opportunity till I think I can't remember what camp we were at, but they had small bore rifle. And, you know, that was interesting. But I mean, I never carried it any further than that. So. Right. When you were. um Young growing up and after that happened with a shotgun and you went back to your, you know, parents or either friends trying to be cool because you're a kid. They don't want to show. Yeah, anything. that's right. Did, did your parents say anything that was like, well, this is why we don't have guns in the house or you no. remember anything that w- went down that road or just nothing? They, you know? I mean, <laughs> I think the adults were probably having adult beverages because it was okay. a different time back then. Yeah, of course it was. They were just uh, laughing about that kind of stuff. Okay. They weren't really. Okay. I mean. Uh, my mom is actually from West Virginia and her dad had all the guns. So oh, wow. it was not, she just, I mean, being a girl back in that time is not really something that stuck with her. Right. But at the same time, you know, my dad grew up with guns, but just didn't really keep them as a hobby. And where was this when you were growing up? Uh, back in Atlanta. So oh. I started originally in Atlanta before coming to Texas. Okay. Good deal. The Atlanta's, you know, county by county. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's yeah. a great area to visit, but it's yeah. definitely different. Every county I, you go to is a Georgia is so. a wonderful, wonderful state. Yes. But if mm. you can avoid the city of Atlanta, yeah. I would generally recommend it. And it used to not be that way. Yeah. It used to be just a wonderful place to go down. I remember being there the first year that the SEC um, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame was opened up and I was there, you know, watching Alabama against, um, I guess, West, I think West yeah. Virginia yeah, that yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was, it was a peaceful, entertaining place to be. Yeah. And unfortunately, since um, the, the the acts of the um, pandemic. Right, right. It just it's changed all major cities. It's, and, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's just I hope we get back to those beautiful experiences downtown because, you know, it used to be the place to want to be, want to be. Right. And right. so many metropolitan places just have gone downhill yeah. since then. And it's very sad. I mean, because I, I basically grew up there. I mean, I left Atlanta in 2018 and mm-hmm. it changed dramatically uh, from the time I was a kid to wh- whatever it is now. And I right. mean, from what I understand, they didn't do so good during the pandemic. Just they right. they were a little bit more restrictive. Well, I'll get my figure out whatever that was here in a bit. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, my, my folks are there and they're they're ready to go. They're oh, they're, you're still there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. They're, are they in the city limits? Uh. 
No, not anymore. Okay. They're right okay. on the edge. I think technically they're in Decatur, which is an okay. eastern suburb. I'm, I'm familiar with that since then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, did you do a lot of activities growing up in the sports or anything? Oh, oh yeah. What yeah. were you into? Uh, Where did your competitive juices come from? <laughs> so I started as a soccer player. I had a really bad arm break when I was, I was playing all the sports until I think I was in, I don't know. 12 or 13 or something like that. And I had a compound fracture, like broke my right arm basically in half. And so that was like a really long cast period that knocked me out for a basketball season into a baseball season. Wow. So soccer was all I could play with a cast on. So soccer was what stuck at that point. So I played Mm -hmm. soccer through kind of high school, did cross country and wrestling a little bit there. Um, But that wasn't really what did it for me. Uh, Then then the testosterone started flowing and I lost my side to side quickness and kept straight line speed. Mm-hmm. Got to college and figured out rugby and rugby was oh, uh good Lord. If I had started playing that, I could have been somebody <laughs> in high school. But uh, really rugby was fun. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm not educated on the rugby side. I'll, I'll catch it every once in a while on ESPN 17 <laughs> where they're showing <laughs> it somewhere down the road. And all I see is just like the way we used to call it was and I, I don't think I can say that anymore. But it's like, you know, smear the guy with the ball. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it used to be, you know, I, you know, there's more to it than that, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, all it's, I see is big guys. Just beating the living stew out of each other, trying to get the ball. So, I mean, what you're talking to is basically when you're tackled in rugby, the tackler has rights to the ball unless he can't stand on his feet to retrieve the ball. So after the tackle, if the tackler tries to stand up, they form what's called a ruck over it. So the the runner's team will come behind to knock that guy off his feet. And when he can't feel the ball from his feet, then the running team retains possession of the ball. So it's kind of like a down, if you will, if, right. if you're able to ruck. But if it's like an open field tackle, the tackler pops up. He has rights to the ball. He can take it and run. There's so, no padding. There's no padding. So, but you said you did well at this. Uh, I had a pretty, uh, I have a physique that was at the time conducive to it. I managed to find some uh, adult beverages in the meantime. So <laughs> well, you're softening around the edges. Your name is David Blanton. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure, I'm sure go. Kentucky got in touch with you at some point. <laughs> I, you know, it must have gotten lost in the mail, unfortunately. But if you guys are watching, we would send a case my way. I'll find a good home for it. I promise. Exactly. I promise. It, it'll be on YouTube at some point. There we go. <laughs> but no, so rugby was like that really. That really entertained you. It did. It did. Wow. It was the right kind of technical, like it's the ultimate team sport because you're like literally relying on your team because a lot of the set pieces and formations, you're binding jerseys with each other and like hitting as one. Mm-hmm. But like if you, you there, it's very rare that there can be one single standout player who can like carry a team like can happen in some other sports. Because if you have a weak back line, the other team can attack the back line. If you're if you're, you know, forwards are out of shape, then you can't keep the ball because you don't have the bruisers to keep, right. you know, possession. So well, everybody knows I grew up in Tuscaloosa. That's right, where right. I was born. So I'm a huge football fan. Yeah, of course. But <laughs> my point being is, is we see injuries all the time in football. And I, ref, you know, you've heard the story about me officiating high mm-hmm. school football. Did a lot of people get hurt in rugby? Or is it what is it just different? It's different because you're not pinning your ears back at a set piece and just crashing uh, okay. and you have to wrap up when you hit. So um, the hits are more dynamic and nobody wears helmets. So you, when you go into contact, your body naturally kind of positions itself in a way that you're not you're not putting maximum force into the other guys. Like it's very rare that somebody's blindside tackled and just it's a you know that you can see the soles of their shoes like that's a pretty rare moment. So. Right. I mean, the worst it gets is on kickoffs, um, the the people who catch them, and that's the position I played, they have to jump and catch the ball. You're not allowed to hit them in the air, Okay, you're allowed to hit them when they come down. And I mean, so they will time it just about perfect. So when you come down, you're hit. So you you made a funny comment, though, not a funny comment, but a very intriguing comment that when you're not wearing a helmet, your head naturally goes to where you're not using your head Mm -hmm. or the crown of your head to tackle. Correct. That they are trained to do until it became illegal. Illegal. Right. <laughs> and, and people are still doing it. Right. Because Targeting they, is because, a thing, right? Because they've trained themselves. For sure. So, but you're telling me in rugby, that's not a thing because your head naturally wants to be out of the way. Correct. I didn't never, I never realized that's, that was just a. You lead with your shoulder. Like you're always going to contact with your shoulder because that's the hardest part you can hit somebody with. Right. But on the other side, I mean, if you're running with the ball, your open hand can be a bludgeon basically at a pack coach who's like, no, no, you don't understand when you're running the ball, Mm -hmm. you're, 
other hand is your fending arm. It's the mentality is come get a bruise. And See, that explains so much more when football used to not have helmets either. They had other helmets. Right, right. But it got worse when you get face masks involved where you're not yeah. getting hits in the face. Right. So in all, in all actuality, Facebook, I mean, it's good, Facebook helmets made the sport rougher, made the sport more aggressive by trying to protect Right. The player. Right. Now, you, you see where my analogy is yeah, yeah. going here with yeah, gun rights. Yeah, <laughs> they right. try to do something <laughs> to think they're making it better. Correct. But in return, it makes it just worse. It, whatever the name is on the thing, like it's going to do the opposite. Yeah. Like that's generally where we're at now. That's, and, I've never put that analogy together for football and gun rights. But there you go. There on you the, go. On the, hel- <laughs> on the helmet itself, the helmet was the end all be all of destruction it's, for the for football competitor. I mean, and I think that's probably why we have all the traumatic brain injuries. Right. Even with that helmet on, I mean, you're still taking trauma each time well, you hit. Exactly. And, and the helmets have changed mm-hmm. throughout the years because they science has changed and everything else. And now but I just that's you see where I went off. Yeah, of course. Base of course there because yeah. I just that for somebody trying to do thinking they're doing something right to protect somebody. Right. And then making it more aggressive. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Less safe. <laughs> exactly. But boy, this this kind of gold is delicious. <laughs> we can do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Bro, I brought, uh, he's in the van. He goes, I want sugar or sugar free. I said, well, I got sugar inside the van. And that sounded really bad to say now that I said it out loud again. <laughs> but it's one of those things where the kind of gold platinum we keep in there for the guests that come in there on the show. So I'm glad you enjoyed it's, that. Yeah, it's really smooth. It's so very good. you went from, did you ever get hurt in rugby being the, I did. Okay. Well, I mean, like uh, bad. Couple, so there's, there's, uh, in college rugby, there's two referees or no, no, no. There's two touch judges and one referee and there's 30 people on the field. So there's a lot of vigilante justice that kind of takes place <laughs> I because it. I mean, you have to look out for your teammates. So, right. I mean, I, I, I took a couple lumps. Uh, I mean, one time a guy tackled me when we were threatening to score and he would like he didn't get me to the ground. I was like standing up, but he would not let go of my legs. And mm-hmm. so he, he's supposed to legally he wouldn't let go. So I reached down and I hit him in my opposite number saw me hit him to get him to let go so he'd protect his head and I didn't right. hit him hard. Right. We have another, you know, penalty kick and try and score again. And I was the runner and I, I go down in the pack and my opposite number comes up and kicks me in the face. And oh. so I got a black eye, uh, <laughs> but we scored the try. So in your face, South Carolina. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that, I mean, I've got a couple black eyes cause that's pretty common just because I mean, people tackling each other, you're going right. to catch a kneecap or something every of once in a while. I mean, I busted a lip a couple times. Um, but the worst, the worst it ever was, was I, I, it was a slippery day and I tried to catch myself as I was falling and my finger is crooked. My trigger finger yes, is, is crooked mm-hmm. because of the amazing healthcare at the student health services, uh, <laughs> that they offered. Like, it's, it's probably fine. Just split it for a few days. And then like the swelling went down. I'm like, man, I think we screwed this up. And he's like, well, we can break it and reset it. And I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I'll just have a crooked finger. It's fine. Do you ever get called out for having a finger in the trigger garden? Uh, no, no. Okay. I'm just curious because your finger is kind of, it is. No, <laughs> no. I, I mean, I keep it over the ejection port when I can. <laughs> so the worst, the worst, uh, the worst I ever took is we would play friendlies against the local men's team and they would have all the expats from like New Zealand and South Africa and stuff like that. All right. And so, um, since I was fast in straight lines, they would line me up as like, it's basically your, your opposite numbers, roughly your same size and body weight. Okay. So I was playing against guys who were roughly, you know, my same size and weight and, for those who haven't seen me in person, I'm six four, and at the time I think I was about two sixty. Okay, and so I was still fast in straight lines. So they would line me up as a center, which is somebody who's roughly five ten to maybe six one, and maybe one hundred and seventy pounds is kind of the optimum weight. Okay, so I would usually have seventy to eighty pounds on the guy trying to tackle it, tackle right. me, and I would have a lot of momentum. So uh, it was a man from from uh, New Zealand who did this. Right. So I go into contact. I've got my hand out like he's expecting. And he reaches around and grabs my collar. Okay. And hauls my shirt over my head. So I flip onto my shoulder. <laughs> oh, wow. And like my head and shoulder hit the ground and I separated my shoulders. That is the ground oh. caused the two worst injuries I had playing rugby. Holy cow. It wasn't other people technically. Let me ask you this question because I'm, I'm taking myself throughout, you know, you I've talked plenty of times, but I'm a fan of, you know, mixed martial arts and sure. all that UFC stuff that's on. When the match is over, is everybody just acting like, you know, all the all the aggravations gone and everybody's just there shaking hands and everybody's good? Or is there animosity like, oh, we're still not talking to this team? 
it was very rare that there was any because like the you made peace. The home team would host the away team for a social, usually at a bar, and then they would order apps and pitchers of beer and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Everybody would have a good time because, I mean, it takes somebody else to play with. You can't Mm -hmm. play, you know, by yourself, so to speak. (laughs) So, you know, everybody's generally grateful that somebody would actually come and play against you because you have an opportunity to do something you like to do. There's only one player who's an Auburn guy. uh, So go family boy. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) That's how it usually happens. It's going to be a problem. He was uh, he was a bit of a jerk. But uh, I mean, he he usually wouldn't show up to the socials and that was fine. Nobody missed him. But everybody else got along fine. But it but it was, you know, more like everybody got along. It's just when it's time to compete, it's time to compete. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's not really hard feelings. I mean, you'd get stepped on and stuff like that. But I mean, when you're on the ground, you're part of the ground. So it's kind of expected. (laughs) Very cool. So where'd you go after rugby? Uh, after rugby, uh, that's more of a lifestyle than it is a, uh, just a, like, Oh, I do this as a hobby. Like you have to stay in pretty good physical shape and right. training and like first well, sounds just like shooting. Well, it's <laughs> not far off, but you know, you can walk into conferences with a black eye and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, you know what? I had a good run, but this is, I mean, I, if I'd have loved to have stuck with it, but it's just not something you can do. <laughs> what were you doing term. for a living playing rugby? Uh, I worked in, I work, I still work in construction. Okay. Uh, so I mean, it's oh, like so it's no, big, it's no big deal going to work with a black no, guy. Then. No, it wasn't. But at the same time, I also realized like going into like an owner's meeting with a guy who's going to pay you, you know, millions of dollars, pay your company millions of dollars, I should say. <laughs> you just walk in and say, yeah. hey, the last guy didn't pay me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even still, I, I decided my professional brand needed a little bit more than that. So I grew a beard instead. So, you know, <laughs> nice. <laughs> the way to hide the scars oh yeah <laughs> not too bad not too bad well so when you went from rugby did you do any other sports before you got into shooting or is it pretty much kind of when you went into idpa a little bit how uh, that, that open up to you so i kind of no i didn't really do any sports um okay. I, I ended up picking up guitars as like my hobby or whatever oh, wow. so i tried to you know play some guitars or whatever then until i met my wife and trying to play a loud hobby with a housemate is, well, who was uh, who was your um when you, who are you looking up to as a guitar player? Who was your, who was your inspiration? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the whole story here. Uh, so working my construction job one day, I was killing some time before I went going back to the job site and on the, uh, end cap at target, there was a CD from a band called dragon force named inhuman rampage. And it was like, this is so ridiculous. It has to be amazing. <laughs> so I picked it up. I've, and never, I've, I've done a lot of music. I've never heard of this band. It's, it's so they refer to themselves as extreme power metal. So like oh, take all the stuff from the 80s <laughs> yeah. and speed it up to like 200 beats a minute. And like, that's what they do. And it's like, it's silly stuff about like dragons going into combat and stuff. It's just, it's totally silly, lighthearted fun. This but is the, wonderful. Yeah. The two guys who play the guitars are just absolute demons. They can right. do anything. Right. And I mean, they, they, uh, they make it sound like video game type music so it was just wow i was like you know what i want to get really good at something because you know not having a sport i needed something to kind of right funnel my you know so it was electrical guitar guitar from the very beginning not mm-hmm. not acoustic yep that's right i didn't good. have an acoustic for years good uh, no i like I, acoustic guitar music is kind of the kumbaya <laughs> thing just doesn't do it for me so the electric you like side, the cowboy courts man well you know there's there's got to be whiskey and cigars involved mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. about you know live not on the radio that's right that's right yeah <laughs> there's a place for them for sure exactly but yeah that was uh so that was, just tried to mess around playing metal and stuff and I mean, guns was ultimately what replaced guitars as my hobby. You met your wife before guitar or after guitar? Uh, I met her after guitar. I was a couple years into, you know, I was just curious guitars. based on the type of music. I was yeah. just having a mental picture of what your wife may look like. <laughs> that's a, that's a amazing. Horrible, horrible for me to say, but just, just, you know, this, no. this is, this is my brain. No, she's uh, she, I mean, I, she's, she's about a foot shorter than me and okay. like a very, she, 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 she strikes you more as like a librarian, like a friendly librarian okay. than, uh, was she athletic as well? She actually is not. She, we were very, uh, kind of opposites in that regard. So mm-hmm. she did, uh martial arts so she did the like the taekwondo and the kuksul one and eventually jujitsu oh wow so i mean she's a little thing but she's she's got some teeth if she needs some yeah <laughs> you're not offering a wrestling that's right. match that's, that's for right. sure <laughs> so when you when you went into um firearms mm-hmm. at idpa match mm-hmm. you're already with her mm-hmm. was it a situation where she was um intrigued excited or nervous well it was around the time we started having kids so like we both decided uh around the time it was really the aurora shooting okay and my wife asked me very seriously uh she's like what do what do we do like she was just ready to like pick up stakes move 
away from everybody and be hermits for the rest of our lives. And I was like, well, really, the only thing we could do is be able to shoot back. Like, that's really the only solution. And uh, I mean, around the same time at the time, it was President Obama was talking about taking action on, you know, there's things that he could do via gun control. And this Mm is when like the first in the modern era, the first big run on guns kind of started before all the ammo kind of dried up and 22 wasn't available for like three years. Right. Um, so, you know, I kind of swept up in that wave as well. And, you know, at the, at the counter of adventure outdoors in Georgia, um, had a Glock 19 C or a Springfield armory XD nine service. And so I could save 50 bucks if I got that Springfield XD and it mm-hmm. felt better in my hands. So, right. um, I'd probably still have that 19 C if I had gone that way, but at the same time, at the time, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know and just right. kind of got the one that, you know, it's got a grip safety. So this is something that I need. It's a more safe gun. But right. I mean, was that, you know, when you went home, did you, you know, did y'all have discussion around it and how that, how that would work? What'd that look like when you took a gun home for the first time that neither one of you had a gun like well, that? First, before? I asked her permission. I was like, okay. this is something that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we were very, uh, we were a young couple at the time, so we didn't have a ton of money. So right. I couldn't just like run out and buy a gun and her not figure out about it. Right. And, um, so, I mean, we, we decided like, okay, I mean, if they're going to make them illegal, like we should have one, we should right. do that. Cause they'll probably grandfather them in. And so we did. And, um, I mean, it, it became like, okay, well, how do we store it? You know, we, she had taken a firearm safety class with me, uh, oh, originally. Wow. And Good. it's always been a goal to kind of get her into the space. She's very interested in it still, but she just hasn't really, uh, hasn't really found or made the time to kind of engage. And I mean, when you, we, we just finished having kids with our last kid and that was, you know, he's four now. So okay. it's getting to the point now where he, doesn't need as much attention where we probably can start to get her into it. Cause more than anything, I would love to start bringing my whole family, you know, to these types of matches and stuff like that and have that be something that, you know, my kids can share with me and, uh, you know, be part of their childhood. And see, so. that's exciting because you're, you're changing the culture of how you were raised and bringing new culture to new people and, and especially your kids to be in that situation. So congratulations well, thank to you. you. Um, when you were at the gun range, I guess, is that how you found out about IDPA? Yeah, they did a good job. They had a, they would have, they had a couple flat panel monitors kind of mounted throughout the gun store and they had somebody okay. who could edit video. So they would just kind of like for the different classes and stuff. So they would, at the time, the guy who was kind of in charge of all that was big into IDPA. So he had, you know, a couple spots of IDPA and I saw like them shooting and stuff like that. And I was like, this looks like video games. This looks amazing. This looks like something I want to do. And so, you know. Well, that's, that's another a, conversation at home to get permission for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, uh, I grabbed my Springfield XD nine service and I mm-hmm. had some kind of inside the waistband holster. I don't even remember who made it. They don't make holsters anymore. Right. And I, you know, had my Phobus mag pouches and three magazines. So I was able to go and participate in my first IDPA match and I, you know, solid midfield or whatever my first time out. Cause I was, I was going to the range about every week, every other week shooting, you know, a box of 50 just to kind of, I'm going to have this thing. I better learn how to use it sort of thing. Right. And so, I mean, I had, okay fundamentals for somebody going out for their first match. And I hear a lot of of great shooters who have all started with um, IDPA and and they moved their way into other shooting sports. So when was your moment to find out about USPSA? So, you know, doing a little incrementalism thing going with the, um, going with the IDPA stuff, eventually I became like the match director for that indoor match. Oh, wow. So you went it. way into it. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I was Wonderful. about two years in and I was going to majors and doing all that. And, um, I kind of was knocking on the door. They had a harder classifier at the time. And I was like this close to making master or whatever, but I was still, even if I had a bad match, I was still finishing like toward the top of, uh, you know, the match. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like, uh, I don't know. It felt like I was running out of people to chase and, I mean, you know, it just didn't, it wasn't as satisfying as it once was like the camaraderie and stuff. When you're like a mid pack shooter at IDPA is really, really great. And it still is really great. Mm -hmm. But I mean, once you really start trying to compete and stuff like that and seeing that, you know, there's just not that much heat at the top. So Mm -hmm. there we, every once in a while, we would get a tourist USPSA shooter. And, you know, a lot of times those guys would win the match. So they kind of like, no, if you want to do this seriously, you really do need to come out and try USPSA. Right. So that's what I did. And, uh, you know, I think it was 2016. I shot my first is June of 2016. I shot my first USPSA match with kind of a cobbled together IDPA rig mm-hmm. and, uh, the CZA shadow or not, yeah, it was a shadow SPO one I was shooting at the time. So, I mean, was your experience 
walking into USPSA for the first time, be it a level one, level two, whatever match it was, it doesn't matter. My question is, how was your experience with may not have the right gear, may not have this, may not mm-hmm. have that. What was your experience like coming in in 2000? Lots changed since oh, then, yeah, of, yeah, course. of course. So in 2016, what was it like, or 17, coming in, what was it like coming into USPSA not probably having everything? What was that like? Well, um, I, I shot for about five months with that kind of cobbled together rig mm-hmm. uh, until all the Black Friday sales kind of went on and I bought a proper rig the rig makes it nicer but you can do it without doing it i mean Mm -hmm. to that point i know lots of people at very competitive levels who shoot both games that just wear their gear in the same way they would in idpa because they don't want to adjust their draw they just right you can adapt to it um so the rule though so as far as rules or anything else or not having proper equipment that never was an issue then uh well the the i would say the spirit is more of an issue because idpa is so and this was around the time they adopted the one second per point down rule so the accuracy piece with idpa is significantly more punitive but the shooting's a lot easier because the i mean you know 10 to 12 yards most of the targets are inside 10 yards uh and they're not doing like tiny steel targets they're not allowed to by their rules so right. it really uspsa really stressed a lot of fundamentals in a way that idpa doesn't and so i mean i would say that's still fair today and i'm still a i would say i'm more of a tourist on the idpa side these days mm-hmm. um but as far as actually just getting out and doing it having fun like the gear it's it, the gear is a non-factor. Okay. I mean, if you okay. if you bring what you have, your skills is what's going to keep you from winning the match when right. you first get in, involved. It's not it has nothing to do with you don't have the right belt on or if you had this holster, it'd be better. Well, I've heard stories from shooters, some good, some um, not as good, just based on you know not having the right people mm-hmm. there to guide you through the process when you got started. So that's kind of where I was going. Oh to, yeah. That uh, kind of well, I would say so. that, uh, I mean, cause I was a seasoned shooter. I had an easier time kind of integrating within the crowd, like okay. USPSA. I, I mean, I've been a match director for USPSA and run a club and it, it's still true that there are more, there's more gatekeeping elitism in kind of the USPSA side of the house right. than there is in the IDPA house uh, side of the house. So IDPA is much more successful. If somebody comes out and shoots one match, people take them under their arm talk to them they have a good time because i mean also true is the relative skill of the typical idpa diehards isn't quite as high Mm -hmm. so the divide between new guy and seasoned guy isn't quite so terrifying whereas if you bring i mean (laughs) part of my new shooter speech on the uspsa side of the house is like you don't understand that this game like everyone comes in here thinking they're pretty good with guns this is a skill set that you only acquire by doing this specific game and there are people here who's going to look like there's no way they can see their sights squirting bullets all over the range. They absolutely can. And that's not you today. <clears throat> so don't be intimidated by that. Don't feel pressure by that. But I mean, it's 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 like writing cursive when somebody's just used to printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's 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 just something else entirely. And if you consider the skill gap, like the heart of USPSA is probably high C, low B class is mm-hmm. probably where most people are. Right. Which equates to roughly. Uh, you know, mid expert to low master on the um, IDPA side of the house. Okay. So um, it's just it's mo- in the heart of 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 IDPA is in kind of the sharpshooter area. I'd really say it is sharpshooter, and there's a lot of marksmen. So sharpshooter would be the IDPA equivalent of C class. But I mean, realistically, if you're a sharpshooter, you're probably a low C class in um, USPSA. Wow. When you first got into USPSA and came in as unclassified, where did you, where did your first classification come out at? You remember? Uh, yeah, it's 59% because uh, <laughs> the Georgia state match was at, uh, let's see, it was in, I want to say October. I started shooting in June. So I got my four classifiers in and I, I duffed one because I didn't understand how to shoot a USPSA classifier. Like mm-hmm. I was shooting too slow. So I ended up shooting like solid B close to A classifiers, but I had two bad ones that still counted. So I came in at 59%, which is the top end of C. Right. So my first major in USPSA, I actually scored that coveted first C wood (laughs) and a match bump into B class. So, um, and then I ended up kind of climbing from there and, and understanding how to shoot USPSA, which is different from IDPA. Yes, it is. And we'll get into that here momentarily. I'm going to take a quick break, listen to one of our sponsors real quick, and then we'll get into USPSA and what today looks like and how we got where we are now. So cheers. It. <laughs> this week's podcast is brought to you by Kana Gold. Kana Gold is a premier lifestyle brand for those who work hard and play harder. 
There are many hemp companies out there that get lost in the crowd, but Kona Gold sets the gold standard with its premier line of products. When traveling all around with a magical mystery tour to different matches, I travel around with lots of different flavors, including pink grapefruit, candy apple, and vanilla cherry. Make sure to stop by and get some for yourself. They are all zero calories, zero sugar, use organic hemp, and are THC and CBD free. Competitive shooters love them because there's no shakes, no headaches, and no crash. When you order from conagoldhemp.com, make sure to use discount code HUNTERSHD for another 20% off. So we're getting into USPSA, and you got your first classification. Did you realize this is where you needed to be immediately, or was this like, I don't know yet? What would that, that look like? Um, I mean... As as kind of the reason I picked up the guitar in the first place was like I basically had my sights on making master in something. I wanted to be like I wanted to master something. Which right. Is just what I wanted to do because I'd always kind of participated to a level to get you know pretty good, but not quite like that next level. And so that became kind of my driving goal was to like I want to make at least master in USPSA. And um, so I was able to do that after shooting USP. I made it in December of 2019. So about a year and a half into my USPSA, I was able to put together a production master. And that's right, right. before, you know, six months later, they raised all the hit factors on the classifier. And I probably would have been still in a class. Wow. But <laughs> did, did you have the humble marksman at that time? Uh, yeah. So I actually started the humble marksman around the time I got out of, um, IDPA because the only place that you could post match video online at that time was YouTube. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, don't do this. Uh, if, if you're watching this, do not go to my channel and watch the old videos. They are horrible. <laughs> Which is, oh, I got to go now. No, don't. <laughs> See, your reverse psychology does not work on me. It's not reverse psychology. <laughs> this is my caring for you as a person, Brian, valuing your free time and good content. The content is horrible. But because uh, it was like, if you look at low effort Instagram type videos that we have right. now, it's the same thing, but in 2016, all the camera phones were crappier. So like yes. it's, it's low, low quality match footage is pretty much where it is. And um, so, I mean, that's where the humble marksman kind of comes from is because, I mean, you've kind of experienced me in person and I, I would generally be described as somebody who generally knows how good they are potentially flirting with arrogant. Right. So that's where the humble thing comes from. That's the sarcastic piece. Marksman <laughs> was the lowest uh, classification in IDPA. And, uh, I mean, at the time I was getting out, I was an expert in IDPA. So like, I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> and so it's, it was set it up as a joke to me and my buddies. Cause I okay. never really set out to have like a YouTube channel. It was purely like, I want to take match video so I can see what I'm doing and how to get better at it. So you walked into a situation of just doing it as a joke. Yeah. And it's turned into a whole yeah. big thing now. Yeah. 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 We just crossed a hundred thousand subscribers. I saw that. That's why uh, I was going to you know. Did, did, did. Did uh, subscribers come to you pretty early because there was nobody else posting video phones from a flip phone? Uh, so, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's about how it was. But uh, no, it, it gets it got started slowly because it really wasn't like I wasn't really thinking about the viewers experience watching my content at the time. It, right. was, it was for me. Right. So, um, I mean, it was horrible and still is horrible. Don't go watch it. And um <laughs> So just, just like and subscribe yeah, now, on the new stuff. The new stuff is just just bad. The old stuff is horrible. But uh, <laughs> the old I mean, around the time there were like no gun channels on YouTube. There okay. was maybe like a half dozen to this a dozen. This is in 20... 2016 ish time okay. frame. OK. And uh, so, I mean, you had like Such and Hickok 45 and it was like the new Canic had just come out. And this I can remember this. And they kept talking about how it was an awesome competition gun, but it was before there was a carry optics division. Um, they had a slide racker. And so like all these guys were given this bad competition advice of these people who were going to buy effectively what was an open gun and try and show up to their match and shoot it kind of as it was or whatever. And mm -hmm. it was just like, somebody has got to tell people who actually compete and know what the gear rules are, like where this gun actually fits in the landscape. Cause I mean, Glock and, and Smith were making optic ready guns long before there was carry optics mm -hmm. in that, so they were all like, this is an excellent competition gun. And the, the only competition you could use it in back then was open division in USPSA, which they're not competitive for, and three gun. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, so I started making like sleepy new dad type videos of like, you know, this is don't don't do this. This is not a good idea kind of stuff. And talking about the, the CZ shadow because there wasn't any information 
on CZs on YouTube at the time at like mm-hmm. a technical level. So a lot of my early stuff was just talking about CZs. And so you push back. In other uh, words, yeah. you push back I on am. the you push back on the norm that was out there and people started to notice you. A little bit. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I wish I had the excellence and execution uh, that I have now. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the the enthusiasm just like really it was just determination because at this point I have over 300 videos. And I mean, really only the last probably 100 or so or what I would say worthy of somebody actually watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still history. It is history. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it's a chron- and I'll actually do a, a video on this now of like how to how to have a YouTube channel in 2022 and like the the mindset of not doing what I did where, I mean, it probably took, I don't know, a year to get my first thousand subscribers well, let or me so. get my checkbook real quick. Cause I'm, <laughs> I don't know how, you know, I've got over a thousand, but it is only because I started doing lives, but yeah. I, I, I've not broke anything further than that because I'm not sure. Some people believe in the algorithms being shut down. Some people don't believe in it. Some people do believe in it. And I'm thinking to myself, I just don't know how to move forward with this. So the problem with USPS and my con my content used to be heavily tilted toward USPSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I put most of my like real, like the original stuff that I would do, you know, that kind of stuff is now on my B channel called the arrogant marksman. <laughs> the arrogant marksman. <laughs> that's my B channel. I, I did not know about <laughs> that's this. That's where I put in my podcast. <laughs> and that's where uh, all of the like really technical, like USPSA stuff would go now. Okay. And, um, the problem is that like we're such a small piece of the general gun owning community and like there's just not a huge audience for what we have in the algorithm like it's it's keeping an eye on trends and all that those kinds of things like one thing that I this is a really dumb example but I can tell you this absolutely worked like my first video that I can tell the algorithm just grabbed and pushed mm-hmm. is when I started editing to music and like <laughs> It's it's trap beats is is what it is. So I edited a video from Double Tap Ranch this year with mm-hmm. trap beats behind it, and it was just open guns of like me taking my camera phone in vertical <laughs> and just all the pretty open guns that were at the match, and it finished with the hat cam video of me shooting a stage with an open gun at that match, <laughs> and it got picked up about three weeks after I posted it by the algorithm and got like seven hundred thousand views in a month. Good lord! Yeah. So uh, like. <laughs> The algorithm it rewards, and don't hear this the wrong way, extreme content. So, like, if you were to take, you've got, I don't know, five red dots back there. If you were to take each one of those, make a video about each one individually, that wouldn't necessarily get as much notice from the algorithm as, like, if, because it, it writes down the transcript, everything you're saying, and it kind of figures out what search terms are. So, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And so, um, if you took all five and put them together in a video, mm-hmm. like that video would play very, very well because it's the more extreme version of just right. taking a red dot and talking about a red yeah, dot. I can I can relate to that because I, I I did something on um, YouTube, a short. And all the shorts I do are just, you know, basic stuff. And all of a sudden I did one from Nationals and it said, Corey K blowing me a kiss at Nationals. While he was shooting. Right, right. <laughs> but it put that, but it, it was him going from one position to another. And he blew a kiss that you could barely even see because I'm sitting there filming it. Right. I made it a 15 second or 20 second short and over 10,000 views. Yeah, yeah. I'm like going, this is, you can't even see him blow the yeah. kiss. And it got, but it was a wording, I guess, yeah. of blowing a kiss. Right. <laughs> and that national, I don't know what that, I don't know what that When, when I realized about the trap stuff, that, that this trap music, yes. like just simply having music, music in the background. Right. I don't know what it is, but I guess the algorithm recognizes it is a better video. So mm-hmm. it, you get more of the, like it's it's crazy because when you launch content, you really need the, you, the more subscribers you have, the more eyeballs interact with it when it goes live Correct. initially. And it, it will judge the piece of content based on their interaction. So, guys, when we're begging for likes and subscribes, like that's how you're signaling to the algorithm. Show this to people who aren't familiar with me. Mm-hmm. And so if you're watching this, go ahead and like and subscribe because <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> he, needs, he needs all the help he could get. <laughs> and um, that that is what it is. So, I mean, a strategy I recognized here is when like there's a phenomenon called trend jacking. So when there's a significant new product launch, like. So when Six Hour launched the uh, X Macro, and, and you were invited to that. I was. was what, how did that make you feel? Because I want to hear the story. But I want. How did you? How did it make you feel on a on a, on a pause and go to this story? Because when <laughs> when somebody calls you out of the blue, I'm not sure it was the first time you ever got called or not mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, we're calling all the the influencers to right. come check this gun out." What was that phone call like? Uh, 
So it was Phil Strader, who okay. uh, you probably know. Yeah. And um, so Phil, it was just, I think he just had been promoted to the director of pro- uh, product management or whatever mm-hmm. uh, for pistols at SIG. And so he works with his media production team. And um, so the lady who runs that over there, like they, they cure, they watch everything that comes across, like anything to do with six hours showing up. And okay. every once in a while they share it on, you know, something on their socials. And so, uh, she had, she was familiar with me because I had done a video on the, uh, 365 XL when it was new mm-hmm. and it got a lot of traction, like for me at the time, which was a lot of traction. And so she kind of liked me. And then I met Phil, uh, at, a, at a, uh, influencer range day with primary arms it, when the NRA was canceled a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we, we chatted and stuff like that. And they, I mean, Phil is an awesome guy and I'm pretty, I have a pretty sarcastic sense of humor and like to have fun. And that's exactly like Phil is yes. very much that way too. Most definitely. So, I mean, we, we are on the same wavelength that way. So, um, originally it was actually the P322 launch is where I was invited because my okay. niche on YouTube, like they, they're very, SIG is very, very smart on how they curate these events because they want to make as big a splash with kind of the media that comes out out of these events as mm-hmm. they can get. And because they're not doing it at SHOT Show. Right. Anybody can see what they've got going on because oh, there's incredible. nothing else going on. Everybody released it the same day, right. the same hour. Right. Because all of a sudden, I was on social media and all of a sudden. And that's all there is. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Why is everybody and their mother, that's his mother's sister talking about this. Right. <laughs> Everybody's talking about this now. So, but I mean, like an example of that, there were two pure YouTubers who were at the event, which was myself and 22 Plankster for the 322. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I kind of hit on the Steel Challenge type folks and 22 Plankster kind of hits on a wide swath of yes, kind of the does. general plinking area which mm-hmm. is that's the target of the gun mm-hmm. so um you know they do a good job they they invite like i think they realize that video is the future for that kind of stuff so they need a lot of video in a lot of places so they do a right. good job with like pew pew tactical the firearm mm-hmm. blog like all the all the megas the heavies in the in the space so i mean they're all there too and I'm just there. They hired it videographers for the thing. So I'm just there like a monkey stuff in magazines and just mag dumping the whole time. And mm-hmm. like, we'll share the video with you. You can just, you know, cut it together or whatever. <laughs> we'll send you a gun and you make your video. And so that, that was the way that kind of the thing went. Uh, you know, as, if you get a lot of gun guys together, they usually wind up at a bar and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there may or may not be cigars involved. Right. And so well, that's why I give them away. At I had this weird headache when I was <laughs> flying back uh, the next day after, after the event in Florida, and, you know, I'm really funny when, or at least I think I am when, okay. when I have these kinds of headaches the day after, you know, finding myself in a bar. And, um, so I, I'll show you my business card. I made these business cards because like you have these real media guys and then like, I'm just some like guy who has a YouTube channel. So that's, uh, right. The Hansel Martin, legitimate media expertise, enterprise, enterprise yeah, yeah. legitimate media enterprise. So like they're <laughs> all like with their big expensive, uh, cards. And that's fine. That's awesome. Yeah. So I ended up making a, a, a business card just as a joke. Right. And, you know, I kept growing and, you know, SIG, SIG notices those things. Who's making videos and like their rate of growth and stuff like that. Right. So the macro, I mean, the other thing that I could do is I can take very technical stuff and make it accessible for people. So they understand like, why is the macro kind of an optimum concealed carry type gun? Well, I'm an open shooter. Right. So I can, I can tell you the lay science of why that is and why mm-hmm. it's a good thing and the way the grip module is shaped and stuff like that. So um, I'm guessing, I don't know, but I suspect they like that. Well, I did. Yeah. I watched a video and I actually went and bought a macro because I, awesome. I had the regular 365. Right. And I was like, okay, there's another version. Maybe it's got a safe. I don't know what it's got different. You know, right, when, right. when you, when you, I watched your video to see the differences because when the day when it rolled out, yours was the one that popped up right, first right. On, my, on my feed. But you influenced me to go like, okay, I guess I need to upgrade it's, my 365 because it's a definitely, it's a huge upgrade. It is a huge, it's a huge way upgrade. more shootable gun than yep. anything else in the segment. I mean, it, it punches way over its weight as far as a concealed carry gun is yep. concerned. So it, uh, but no, it, it works. You know, are you, is that you're pretty much you're, you're still doing construction or is your job? I, I still are, you, are you mainly doing are you are you officially a YouTuber doing it full time? Uh, no, I, I I would probably need five or six times my current traffic to my website and probably okay. a couple other streams of revenue to pop up to replace my income and benefits for, okay. you know, working, working for the man. So you, you do monetize I your do. channel? Mm-hmm. See, that's one thing I have. I don't monetize Hunter's HD Gold. And the reason why I'm, I don't, I, I post videos, I'm doing all right. this stuff all the time. I don't want YouTube to have a reason to take it down. But, you know, am I, am I being short sighted or I don't, I don't know because I mean, it's, 
the views are crazy because when I post match, you know, when I post stages before a match starts, all people the go for it. Oh, yeah. they want to see what the match. They want to see sure. what the stage looks like. And I, I, I think it has a service. Yeah, because I'm, I'm doing a service for the shooting community. But that's why I've just never monetized it because I don't want to take any risk of them giving me a strike. Right. And, and saying, well, two more and your channel's gone and all your content's gone. It's, so I would say that you would probably, it's, they, they say that it doesn't, but I generally observe it to be true that videos that are monetized are generally favored by the algorithm. Uh, okay. Slightly, not much. Okay. Simply because YouTube has a chance to make money and, mm -hmm. you know. Well, see, my thought, my logic, and you can correct me, please, is I thought, well, if I don't monetize it, they can still throw commercials on there if they want to. Yeah. And I just don't get paid for it and I don't care. Well, no, I mean, it's, I mean, I, so, I mean, you can see what it's worth to you. I mean, you have significant investment in camera and recording type gear. So, right. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I roughly. Just don't, to, just don't want to take the risk of losing the channel. That horrify me. Uh, well, you, the, you, as long as you're not using other people, and even still, like there's a couple different kind of, you can't do live streams with guns in it on YouTube because they had an issue where people would go live and then kill themselves with guns. Right. So they watched that really, really closely. So like I have done YouTube live though. And they stopped me one time because it was, um, it was at Dragon's Cup. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was on the Dairy Queen stage. Okay. On the DQ stage. And they, 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 they reported back to me saying that advertise advertiser, you know, being, I'm promoting another advertiser. Right. That was, you know, like not, supposed to do something like that okay so i went back live again <laughs> without showing advertisers that people knew and it went fine i had no problems it was my weird. match videos are usually especially at majors like this are usually get demonetized because mm -hmm. of all the banners of up on the stage okay um so oh so they actually can demonetize mm -hmm. your some of your content if they mm -hmm. don't want oh i didn't know that yeah they, it used to be really rough uh i would have probably had a hit rate of about 50 percent on mm -hmm. keeping monetization on gun related stuff mm -hmm. they recently so, updated the tos so it's easier to do oh me okay so that makes more sense so you're still monetized mm -hmm. but if you put shooting content out there they can say well you're not making money on that yeah i had no idea yeah, it's, it's on a case by case basis. I didn't know they could pick and choose. If they uh, if they want to, if you use like if you were to edit together a video using like CCR or something like that, and mm -hmm. you don't have rights to that song, they'll put a copyright strike on it. So any money that video would make would actually go to whoever holds the rights to that song. So as long, but I mean, there's you can get music off of number of different ways. Well, all the music I use is I have the rights to because I pay twenty bucks a month to you know Epidemic Sound or whatever. Right. So you can get music on it. It's just that. The only thing that where it gets kind of dicey is if you talk about like controversial stuff and you're using other people's media, like mm -hmm. doing, they say you have to have a transformative use. So like if I have a newscast, but I'm in the bottom right hand corner on my camera reacting to whatever the newscast mm -hmm. is, that's okay. But if I'm just showing the newscast and then cutting away to my face, mm -hmm. that's more of a gray area where they can kind of like cut out, come after you and say, you know, that's not fair use. You're, you're wow. stealing somebody else's content. But for what you're doing, you're, you're generating unique content. You're, mm -hmm. you're probably pretty safe, I would think. Well, something I'll consider in the future. Yeah, yeah. It's just a question I have because um, I've talked to a lot of people, but not anybody that's got, you know, like, like in that business, sure, uh, that sure. spectrum. Um, now, everybody, including myself, their mother has a YouTube channel. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm trying right. to talk my mom out of it, but she got one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> my point being is, is have you, has that made your experience better, worse, or indifferent with all the new content that's coming out there? Or does it make you step your game up? Uh, it made me step my game up. And honestly, like it leveled up my professional career, like for my day job as well. Because okay. like, if you get serious about content creation and you want to get better at it, like taking the same mindset you take to like practicing, you know, handguns or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so every time you get in front of the camera, you're going to do it better. Like it, it's really good because it teaches you how you're presenting to others. You become aware of how you're breathing, how you're speaking. And just like with competitive shooting, what can feel fast? And then you watch the video and it's like, wow, that's really slow. Mm -hmm. um, your feeling has almost nothing to do with it. You have to teach yourself the rate of speech. Like you have a really good presentation. You speak rapidly in a way that it's not too much mm -hmm. but it has an interesting thread and i'm doing the same thing kind of back at you because i've seen enough of myself on camera to know like what looks good on film right. so the other thing is like you realize 
you're competing with all the rest of the information in human history for somebody's eyeballs. Right. And so how can you make an experience that rewards that person at that time for watching your piece of content? Well, that's exactly what presenting PowerPoints is, too, mm-hmm. is like, OK, what am I showing them visually? What is written on the screen that they're going to read? But what am I saying to them? So like the more that's why the music is kind of a good thing, because it naturally kind of, you know, gets people to feel things right you're showing them visuals you're saying something to them and then if you're actually also putting text on the screen that kind of scrolls by that's hugely engaging like it's it's Mm -hmm. hitting like all of the senses almost at the same time right and it it becomes stickier it's harder to look away from so when you start thinking about how to take all this information and package it in the tiniest possible package to where somebody sees, you know, what they need to see from that piece. Like it, it, it makes you more empathetic because you think about how people are going to experience it. And right. you begin to be able to message in a way that actually connects with people and resonates. Like that's a big problem USPSA has right now is they don't really and that's message. What, and I, was getting ready, I was getting ready to go there because you've been pretty hard mm-hmm. on the USPSA in a good, I think, productive way. I don't think it's just being ugly one, sure. one-sided. You've, you've offered solutions. But when you remember when they first started mm-hmm. going live compared to where they're at now, but until the, all the towers got right. moved at Talladega and it just shot everything in the right, foot right. For, for things they can't control. Right. But they have plans to come back. But based on what you saw from the very first time to what you saw from the third time. Right. Right. You did see an improvement. Oh, it improved. Yeah. They're, they're, and this year, what they like. What they did at Nationals just, you know, a month or two ago uh, with with Josh out there with his crew is they were curating content. Right. And they like so that that whole thing about taking all the information and distilling mm-hmm. it down to its barest part. Like, right. that's what Josh was doing. Effectively, he was giving you the experience of being there right. without having to look at a bunch of stages being reset. Because, right. I mean, the problem with live stream is like not everybody's shooting all the time and there's downtime. And right. without like a color commentator to fill kind of the dead air space. Right. I mean. I don't know, of the live stream, maybe 20 to 30 percent was actual like action footage. Right. 70 percent was like scores going across the bottom on on the crawl. So that's something I've actually um, talked to. I'll I'll just put it out here now as a a, a, so like, oh, wow. But, um, you know, so we're going to have some nationals next year in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to Steve Anderson about Mm -hmm. it and stuff like that, because we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, Yeah. And he actually said, hey, we need to go live next year and I'll do. Color, color commentary. Exactly. Color commentary. <laughs> Steve would be great I, for I, it. I, I, thought, I thought to myself, I said, man, Steve, because I, w- I remember the first time I met Steve, I was up at a um, Zanesville um, area five match. Yeah. yeah. And I, we were sitting in the tent. I was across from the stage, kind of like I am here in, in Texas or in, well, in Oklahoma. I went through Texas. <laughs> I, I don't know where I'm at from week to week. My point being is, is I were watching the stage and I'm, I'm sitting there and he's, he's saying, oh, he did this, did this, did this. And he, he could identify what people were doing great mm-hmm. and what people weren't doing as great. And it was really cool to hear because I like going, well, I see what he's talking about, but I had no idea. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully me and Steve are going to hook up at, um, at nationals. There we go. And be able to do some live like I do and kind of yeah, go yeah. out there and get some hope. The USPSA is passing out media passes. We, there have, we to get their, had to get their permission to do it, but would that not be kind of cool? I, I think, think it would be, be cool. Cause I mean, with me, I don't, you know, I'm an, I'm an RO, so I know where to go and not to be with a camera <laughs> and Steve can, I, I can have him hooked up to a camera that's my, I, maybe I not as close. I wonder if they could get you, uh, like, uh, a chance to actually have multicam set up where, you could, if you had an assistant doing switching, it could be really, I, yeah, really they, cool. Then we talk about, you know, trying to get the relays, relays going back and all the stuff like that. But yeah. if I can do it live and then, cause I'm, you know, you, you see me do my lives before. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, it, if it's dead, I'm walking to another stage oh, and we, we go right into it or sure. either watching somebody, which Instagram. Well, if you're just walking around right on, with Steve. <laughs> it looked great on Instagram, but let's right. go see what the actually hits were. Right, right. <laughs> Alpha Charlie, uh, Alpha Mike. And then we go in there looking at the, for the perfect double, which is always fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about it, if Steve were walking with you like yeah. you would have your pocket color commentator kind of right there with exactly. you exactly I'll, I'll i'll shoot you a, a link to the wireless microphone that i use and you can hook it up straight up to your iphone yeah. and you could both wear a wireless rig and talk and it'd be like that'd be kind of really cool. good so uh, we're we're looking at things like that <laughs> i mean i haven't talked to jake about this and i'm not sure if he listens to the podcast or not but i'm gonna probably you're sponsoring stages man he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna let you do it i always ask for permission it's not one of those things i assume anything i walk up to That's him and probably I, a good I, way to roll. I do ask for permission everywhere i go um you know getting back to uspsa mm-hmm. and this podcast won't come out for you know about a month and a half a week you know actually get things going but do you see a light at the end of the tunnel 
of where USPSA is at? Because, you know, we're in a situation by the time this releases, a lot of stuff's going to be out there. Are you right, excited right. about the direction? Are you, or are you still, um, you know, you can't predict the future. Right. So, and when this comes out, it will be the future. Right. But, you know, what, you know, where do you feel about where we're at with USPSA? It's tough. Um, it is. Cause I, I mean, I'll just, I'll give you the, the situation that I see. Like, Media is the sales funnel to get people actually into the game and mm -hmm. sort of playing it. And you have to sort those people in the funnel into kind of the mailboxes or whatever that makes sense. And right. if you think about where we've been, you know, back in the day, there were open guns and that was just it. And then red dots were so superior, they introduced limited division mm -hmm. and then limited became the thing. But then it was all 40 cal, which was fine up until 40 became irrelevant. Right. So at this point, like so much of the, the heat has gathered into carry optics division at this point. And right. the problem is that carry optics was initially a provisional division, but never really got like a full vetting as to what it sort of needed to be. So it's just this cobbled together thing that we have now because, you know, production underwent all these rule changes. So we've mm -hmm. gotten to a point where the uh, the enthusiast is going to have a red dot on their gun. Like look at PCC as an example for the um, divisions. You have the option of shooting iron sights or a red dot. Mm -hmm. Nobody shoots a PCC with iron sights. But I mean, <laughs> in carry optics, the entire division is defined by having a slide ride optic and a 140 millimeter magazine and minor scoring. Mm -hmm. Why not just have that be high calf minor and you can use irons or a dot. And right. then the people who complain about, you know, regular service guns not being competitive and limited could shoot irons. They'll still get smoked by the people using dots. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like that's who's entering the game. Now, fast forward and Staccato's done a great job of building interest in single action guns. And so like, OK, oh my gosh. And Springfield just yeah. released a price point of sixteen ninety nine. MSRP, yeah. right, right, fully loaded. That's right. It's nuts. The price point was cut in half yeah. to get into it, and so it's becoming reachable. Like a thousand dollar gun is not the same thing as it used to be, you know, three four years ago. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of what the equivalent would be like a six seven hundred dollar gun back in the day. And so USPSA has kind of a figure out how we need to shuffle the divisions. And there's a lot of people who don't want to do that. Everything's fine, you know. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. But I, I, I just is somebody who gets a lot of comments from a lot of people who aren't shooting USPSA and yeah. they've got their special snowflake gun that doesn't work in any of the divisions competitively, mm -hmm. but get back to the whole thing. It's skills, not equipment. That's ultimately going to pay the bills. Right. And um, regardless, there's that perception. So they have to battle that and they have to find more eyeballs because the way that they're getting out there and putting their product out there, because I mean, it sells itself if you can just get it in front of people. Right. And the problem is like with what we're doing, we're not reaching where kind of the eyeballs are. Okay. And I mean, you're a sponsor of matches. If, if USPSA could come to you and say, you know, we want you to participate, we need this much product or this many dollars, mm -hmm. but for the upside, you get everybody at the match, you know, we'll put you next to the stage, which is what you get now. But also we'll get you a spot on our YouTube channel where we're sponsoring this thing. And, and you know, our typical, you know, video gets 50,000 views. And mm -hmm. that's not all going to be people like, that would probably be That's a lot correct. more uh, uh, a lot more appealing to you as a sponsor to get involved in the game. And if they up their thing, but you're getting exposure, which is the whole reason why you do this. Mm -hmm. So, like, to me, it's not it's not paying as much benefit to what the sponsors are after. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like we need the sales funnel piece of finding more eyeballs so we can get them to become members and begin to shoot the sport competitively. Like there's a small, very small hill, hill to climb right now as far as organizationally running really well. And I'm optimistic and pretty confident that we're going to turn a corner and get there as far as all that is concerned. Mm -hmm. But I still think we have the organization issue on kind of the division stuff. And uh, the other thing is just getting a strong sales funnel because the person who had the means to get involved in the game five years ago is not the same kind of person who has the means to get in the game today. It's, right. it's, it's not a sport of the elite yet, mm -hmm. but it's a lot closer to it than it was even five years ago. Wow. Wow. So, well, you started off as a C class. Mm -hmm. Where are you at now? In uh, so I'm a master in production, master in carry optics, uh, switched to open division and I've gotten up to like 82, 83 percent nice. open. But um, just, you know, this year being what it is, it was it was not a not a heavy year for me. So okay. having fun this year. That's what we're having at this match this weekend. That's what so, I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll uh, I'll have a good time. But I, I have no illusions that I'm going to be winning well, open at this match. The very first thing thing, thing that ever got my attention was was your logo 
with with a monocle. That's right. And um, you're still supposed to get me a monocle so I can put some lenses in there for you. Well, one lens in there for you. I will commit to you and (laughs) the audience right now. I will order a monocle before I leave because this is the second time, third time even, but you've reminded me. That's what caught my attention because when I was looking, you know, finding content myself to listen to when I'm on the road and everything and I was traveling so much and you pull up anything to do and that that popped up. I was like, well, that's that's interesting to me. So that was, you know, congratulations on your success, you know, what's next for the humble marksman? What's next? What's next for David? What What's the plans down the road? We don't know about, or maybe we do. Well, um, the, I'm going to continue to do the video stuff. Cause that's still interesting to me. Um, I continue to do the podcast as well, because <laughs> it's fun because when you do start to have a platform and you have good ideas, you can echo it, you know, cast it out into the ether and then enough, times eventually those ideas start you start hearing them from people who are watching them kind of back at you Mm -hmm. and so even the conversations that we're having right now i can't you know say hey you know mr president let's do this thing but i can say this thing to where it starts to build it seeds good ideas and Mm -hmm. it starts to make it up so as long as i'm okay with not taking any credit you know it's it's, i can do a lot as long as i don't care if i get credit or not. in the current environment middle of september with the your voice getting stronger, does it make you more nervous with the current environment? Because if you, you know, there's there's people that say that if you go a certain way too far, right, that you can have this come against you and, and not be offered to be your place of enjoyment anymore. That's true. That, so there's there's the responsibilities coming along with that. And we're having to, you know, check ourselves sometimes and go, well, does this need to really be talked about or is this too is this too political right now have you had that experience already i try not to be political okay in fact um at least with my content because my goal uh, as a content creator is to present firearms in a way that like this is responsible and this is also fun mm-hmm. and it can be you know pursuing it you can pursue mastery which ultimately kind of gets you where you want to be in life mm-hmm. and i actually have a lot of like li- self-identified liberal gun owners who kind of get into it and right. at the same time uh really what i'm trying to do and when i come to matches like this like i won't leave here before three or four people say hey you know i started shooting because i saw the stuff you were doing it still looked really cool that's awesome. here. and so i mean that's a big part of why i do what i do is trying to get people out here at these matches and do the, the things that are due so that that brings another question before i do we do cut this off here in a little bit but when was the first time you recognized, because you came from a situation where there wasn't a lot of guns, there wasn't a lot of experience, and you bought your own gun during the previous, you know, back in the Obama days, with a lot of people buying different things during those days. Oh, yeah. When did you realize that the Second Amendment was like, meant more to you? If that Was there an aha moment like, holy hell? I can't remember the first time, but I can tell you the most recent time where it was very apparent to me uh, was with the whole lockdown thing with with COVID. Okay, I mean, if you look at how Canada and how Australia specifically responded during COVID, mm-hmm. and there's people like, well, we should have done that in America. It's like, well, you can't because everybody has guns. Right. And, and it, 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 that was the most recent, very poignant example of, you know, <laughs> There, there has to be, I won't say a balance of power through force, but I mean, effectively, government is, is the use of force institutionally. Mm-hmm. And America is very blessed to have people who set the rules up initially where there always needs to be some kind of balance so, there. So it's not just people dictating to other people what they have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be participa- uh, participation in kind of the direction of what we're doing. It's not just seize the means of power and then oppress everybody. So right. um, that would be the most recent time. Um, I can't really remember the first time, but I mean, that one, that one really was like when I heard what they were doing in Australia, I was like, this is, and they're still doing, and they're still doing stuff in Canada. Right. And, you know, then we, 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 as a second amendment advocates, we win court cases in the Supreme court and the New York brings up new laws. Right. Right. It's just, it's a constant battle, but do you, do you see yourself ever getting more involved as you get older to, for the, for your kids, for freedoms and, and their kids freedoms in the future or is that really ever ever crossed your plate to ever think about i don't know i mean okay. i'm sure a, a, a series of circumstances could arise where it's like okay this is the right thing to do this is the best use of my right. platform or whatever well you live in another country altogether in texas yeah you got some good things going for you that's right that's right uh, but there's other states out there that need your yeah, help you're absolutely right and um <laughs> 
it's tough to say, man. Um, eventually, I mean, could I? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, with, with, as is probably another channel. Yeah. Uh, not, not the, I think the humble marksman channel will kind of be what it is. It's just kind of a fun, cheeky technical look at guns and techniques and shooting and right. guns specifically. Uh, but I could see creating another niche of news and, um, I mean, politics would obviously fall into news at right. that point and right. potentially doing that, that those people come under the most heat for like, I, I've basically escaped for knock on wood, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shadow banning or anything yeah. crazy like that. Yeah. But at the same time, could that happen? Absolutely. And, uh, oh, cool. I, I mean, just knowing what I know, there's a lot of people who cry about algorithm and suppression and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, <laughs> I came to the match with the Google engineer who can read all the uh, algorithm stuff and right. I had a um, conversation. So I understand it is merit based. Like it's in their interest to spread something kind of far and wide, except for, I mean, there's very clear examples we can point to where things do get suppressed right. like, during elections and things like that. But I mean, as far as just general content getting plays is concerned, I mean, best video wins as far as the machine is concerned. Yeah. So, very cool. Um, yeah. I mean, never say never, but maybe not right now. Oh, man. Thank you so <laughs> much for sharing so much with me today. It's Absolutely. been awesome. How can people get in touch with you? Well, uh, I, Instagram is probably the best way if you want to send me a message. Uh, the Humble Marksman on Instagram. If you want to see what I got going on, YouTube, you know, one video a week generally on Sunday is uh, when the new videos drop. So, got a Bull Armory Axe FS Tomahawk tomahawk fs coming out this sunday so well this will be six weeks in the future so i'm talking to you from the past so you can check that out we've got springfield prodigy videos all that good stuff too so nice very cool well very cool well thank you again for anything else we didn't discuss you want to bring up no i i will i just want to say thank you to you because i mean i was first introduced to you probably two or so years ago right and you've been such a supporter of uspsa and i think it's really awesome and i another goal is to make uspsa so awesome that they can really support you it's, it's kind of one of the goals that i, well, I want to have so. i really appreciate that I'm, I'm i'm actually reaching out to other different shooting sports as well and making sure i'm getting all kind of the entire shooting sports the healthy diet care. of shooting sports I, I am. I, that's, a, that's a great that's a great catchphrase i'm gonna have to use that but you know i'm getting more into single action shooting society oh, yeah so i'm going to end trail it's going to be next year doing a lot more in three gun, a lot more. And I'm going to clash bash as by the time this comes out, I've already yeah. been at clash bash. So yeah, doing yeah. a lot with the AK people. So I'm just, I'm putting myself out there and in, in these shooting sports. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think I it's like really that. cool so, that you have a purpose driven product that, I mean, is generally pretty superior to a lot of what well, else is going on. I do appreciate it. And thank you. And thank you for the kind words. But if you have any questions for um, David, the humble marksman, and you don't have access to some of those channels, but you just listen to it on the, you know, feel free to email me at info at hundredshdgold.com. And I'll make sure I get them the, the messages straight to them. And if you, you know, we talked about a lot today about YouTube and stuff like that. And, you know, some people feel the way they do about social media, but it's still an avenue to learn about great products and see a lot of good things. And, you know, just like you had the channel, you know, at home to change it. If you don't like what's on there, it's the same way with YouTube. But there's a lot of good things out there happening in social media. And David has um, brought that to light to so many people. And thank you for what you do. So until next time, thanks for watching or listening to Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. And we'll see you at the range soon. Thanks, Dave. Uh, thank you. Thank you.